we're in a series called The Kingdom Among Us, and we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of the heavens, is a theme throughout the Scripture, but that phrase is used even over a hundred times just in the Gospels. And it's really the central theme of Matthew. And so we're going to be looking at, in this time, um, just what the gospel of the kingdom is, what that means, and what life in the kingdom uh, looks like, and what it means, and what it means for you and me, where we are in our life right now, today, in our homes, at our jobs, at our schools, um, just in the in the very practical in regular life that we uh, that we have, which is maybe not so regular. So last week we looked at uh, Jesus um, and when uh, he asked John to baptize him, and John was John the Baptist, where he gets his name, John was uncomfortable with Jesus asking him to baptize because John was saying, hey, you're the Messiah, you should be baptizing me. Um, and then, uh, but, but Jesus says, no, in order to fulfill all righteousness, permit it to be so. And so Jesus, he, um, he fulfilled the requirements of becoming our high priest at age 30. He was washed in the water. He was anointed um, with the Spirit. Uh, and uh, it also, he began to identify us with us as a sinner, even though he was not a sinner, he came uh, in our form. He put on our earth suit. He was became fully acquainted with what life was like as a human on this earth, fallen as it was, as it is, and the, and uh, and in that he walked the way, or showed us and identified with us all the way to the cross, dying in our place. And then the Spirit descended upon him as he came up out of the water, and a voice from heaven called and said, what? Yes. Behold, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. When I read that, I see myself hidden in Christ, receiving that affirmation and that love. He spoke it over Jesus. He also spoke it over all who are in Jesus, who are in Christ. And so we'd expect maybe that when Jesus, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, that uh, he would go directly to the streets paved with gold and to the palace where everything was okay and the kingdom of God and the reign of his righteousness was in full display and in its full glory. Right? Well, let's see, let's see where Jesus goes. In the next passage in Matthew chapter 4, let's, let's take a look. If you have your Bibles with us, we're in Matthew chapter 4. This is verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. 
For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, I just get hung up on that first verse. And does that bother anyone? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I mean, when you read that, does that, does that bother any of you? I mean, what's that about? Did God tempt Jesus? Did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into temptation? Well, who, what in the scripture, who does the tempting in that verse? Right, God himself did not do the tempting because scripture says God does not tempt people. God does not entice anyone to sin. The tempting was done by the devil. But maybe that's a technicality. I mean, the Holy Spirit was still leading Jesus to a place where he would be tempted. Does that bother anyone? What was the purpose in that? Well, there was a purpose. There was a very significant purpose. Do you remember just as Adam... This is Adam and Eve. Just as Adam met Satan, so Jesus, sometimes called the last Adam or the second Adam, so Jesus also met Satan. The first Adam met Satan in a beautiful garden, but Jesus met him in a terrible wilderness. Adam had everything he needed, but Jesus was hungry after 40 days of fasting. Adam lost the battle and plunged humanity into sin and death. But Jesus won the battle and went on to defeat Satan in more battles, culminating in his final victory on the cross. Yes, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into a terrible wilderness, into a place that was wild and unknown, where there was some vulnerability as a, as a person in this, in this place. And led Jesus to fast, to empty himself of all physical strength. I mean, some of you probably are fasting. When you are emptied of your physical strength and you're hungry and you're parched for thirst. And you are empty of any strength in your own being to really do anything. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to that place to demonstrate that Satan had no authority over Jesus. Jesus emptied himself. And still, to demonstrate that Satan 
did not have authority over him, that he was not subject to Satan. The Holy Spirit led Jesus to a place, yes, where he would be tempted. So Jesus could demonstrate he was not subject to the devil, no matter how physically weak or alone in the wilderness he was. And in the test, Jesus establishes his authority as a man in this world. Because remember, this world was given to man. And the first man, Adam and Eve, forfeited that authority and handed it over. And so Jesus, and don't think that Jesus used his divine authority to, to, to beat Satan in, in this you know, boxing match of the spirit. Because that is just what Satan wanted him to do. Jesus used only the spiritual resources that are available to us today. He is fully God. Yes, he's also fully man. And he came in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the word of God. And that's why Satan had no foothold over him and could not hinder his ministry in his walk because he had already proven that when he had no strength, he was thirsty, he was alone, he was in the wilderness, even then in his weakest place as a man in the flesh, that devil had no authority and no power over him. Therefore, he could walk in authority and power over all kinds of darkness. Therefore, he could walk and lay hands on sick people and they would recover. Therefore, he could drive demons out because Satan's authority was not over him because he knew no sin. And even when he was weak physically, he was not subject to Satan. Because of his victory, we can have victory over the tempter. Jesus was tempted so that every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth, might know that Jesus Christ is the conqueror. He exposed Satan and his tactics, and he defeated Satan. And we can learn a lot from this passage. What are, or what were, Satan's tactics? What did Satan use to tempt Jesus? Well, there's a couple things. One, he, he was casting shadows on God's goodness. Getting Jesus to look at his circumstances and the stuff going on around him and casting a shadow on God's goodness. And the other thing was twisting Scripture out of context to justify errant or selfish behavior. Satan cast shadows on God's goodness and he twists scripture out of context. So we're going to take a look at that. And I want you, you, I want you to look as we go through these temptations that Satan brings to Jesus. Which, which of these tactics are at play in each of these three temptations? Because we're going to see also how did Jesus respond. The first temptation... Responding to temptation. Okay. The first temptation, let me read it for you again. It says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Which of those tactics is Satan using? Is he casting shadow on God's goodness or is he twisting Scripture out of context? He's casting a shadow on God's goodness. Satan is like whispering 
or telling him, right? Why did God leave you hungry and bring you to this awful place? Because Satan knows, and isn't it true that the hungrier our flesh gets, the louder it shouts at our spirit? And Satan whispers, why don't you take matters into your own hands? Why don't you take matters into your own hands? You can do it. You can change it. You can make the situation go away. Do you know how dangerous that temptation is? I mean, this became very, very real for us, for our family this week. We have um, one, of, one of the, somebody in our family has been mistreated and really dealt with unfairly. And I observed some of this happening this week. And I heard the whisper of Satan in my ear. Take, you can take this into your own hands. Take, you can intervene. You can Take matters into your own hands. And I had to say, no. We're going to the word of God. And we're going to open God's word. And we're going to learn not just about the, the armor of God for as a principle that we think about for another time, but we're going to look at the armor of God as food for today, that we need it today to be nourished, to withstand the fiery darts. But that whisper, you can take matters into your own hands, is a dangerous temptation because really what that shadow means, when we take matters into our own hands, what we're saying is that God doesn't love us. See, when Satan casts a shadow on God's goodness and he, he whispers in your ear, you hear the voice in your ear to take matters into your own hands. When you do that, what you're saying is, is that God doesn't love me. He's left me here. He's brought me to this awful place or I don't see him. I don't know where he is. I've got I've to take care of my own self now. When we allow, when we put our physical needs above our spiritual needs, that's where we're in danger of sin. And when we allow circumstances to dictate our actions, instead of following God's will, we are in danger of sin. So how does Jesus overcome this temptation, this temptation that God doesn't love you? What does he do? What does he say? He speaks the word. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3 to defeat Satan. He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus ignited Logos into Rhema with faith and declaration. Logos is what? It's the written word. It's the Bible. It's, it's God's word. But rhema is what? It's the spoken word. It's kind of like this box of matches. Right? If you're in a dark place, if the lights go off in your house, you have 250 matches in this box that could bring light into that darkness. But if you leave the matches sitting in that box... 
How much power do they have for you in the box? There's, they have all the power that they're going to have. But in the box, the matches are just fully content to sit in darkness. And sometimes when we're in a dark place, all the power is in God's word. But we let it sit on the shelf. We let it sit there. And so we stay in darkness. But when we open the scriptures, or when we open the box of matches and we take one out, what are we saying? We are saying that I believe that this match has the power to bring light into the situation. So when we open the box and we pull the match out, that's faith. That is trust in the Lord. And when we strike it, then we are declaring it or we are lighting the match. We're declaring it and light does come into the darkness. In like way, when we open the scripture and we trust it, we receive it into our hearts and then we declare it into the darkness, that's when light comes. In Ephesians chapter 6, where, where it talks about the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that, that, that use of the word, word, is not logos, it's rhema. The sword of the Spirit, our, our weapon against Satan's temptation, is to, ha- is to believe and trust the written word, the logos, in our heart, and then to speak it and declare it into the darkness. Jesus ignited Logos into Rhema with faith and declaration. What's the second temptation? Well, the second temptation, let me read it for you again. It says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So which of Satan's tactics, which tactics is this? Is this casting a shadow on God's goodness, or is this twisting Scripture out of context? It's twisting Scripture out of context. And I want to say that Satan does know what's written in the Bible. Hopefully... You do too. Hopefully you know it better than he does so that when a half-truth gets whispered in your ear, you know what the whole truth is. Because a half-truth is no truth at all. You know what half-truths do? They try to convince you of a false conclusion. Therefore, half-truths, there is no truth. Only whole truth is truth. The devil actually misquotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And I'll read you what the passage actually says. Psalm 91, uh, verse 11 and 12 says, The psalmist writes, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So that phrase, to keep you in all your ways, was omitted what, was, what ways is the psalmist referring to? 
God's ways. In verses 1 and 9, the whole theme of that psalm is, is that you who have, you have made God your dwelling place. You've made your ways God's ways. You've alighted yourself on the path that he protects, the path that he provides for, the, the, the path that he preserves. And in that, you are preserved. You are protected. You are provided for. It's not whatever you want to do, God's got you. That's not what Psalm 91 says. That's a half-truth. The whole truth is when we've made God our dwelling place and when we have submitted ourselves and surrendering to walking His path, the path that is the path of blessing and reward, yes, and we're inheriting the kingdom in all those ways, that's where His protection is. That's where His provision is. It's on His path. So Jesus says he ignites the Logos into Rhema with faith and declaration. And he says, note Jesus' reply. He says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Or what he's doing is, is he's interpreting one passage with another passage. He's holding my, his understanding of Psalm 91 and also filling in and making and turning that half truth and saying what the full truth, the whole truth is. See, sometimes when we, we have to be very careful about divorcing one part of Scripture for another. Because we can justify almost anything with the Bible if we isolate texts from their context and turn them into pretext for what we already feel or want to do. And an example of this is Philippians 4.13. Anyone know it by heart? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, when I hear some Christians quote that, I think what they believe is, is I can do anything I want and God will take care of me. I can do anything I feel and God will bless it. Do you know what Paul was saying to the Philippian church in that time? This was one of the earliest letters. The Philippians were sacrificially giving to Paul's ministry to further the gospel. And then they went through a season where they had almost nothing to give. An extended period of time. And then later, they again had some provision and they sent it along. And Paul was writing to thank them, yes, for restoring that giving. But also saying, hey, I have learned to live with plenty and I've learned to live with not very much. I've learned to live with rewards and I've learned to live with very little. I've learned to live when people are blessing me and I've learned to live when the path that I'm on, I will endure suffering or persecution. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was a release from guilt for other people because they felt bad about not giving to his ministry. That is not saying, I can do anything I want and God will bless it. The half-truth, what Satan's whispering with the half-truth is that you're a fool. You're weak. You're ignorant. You're backwards. You're inconsistent. You trust the Bible? A book that was written so long ago that has so many inconsistencies in it and paradoxes and contradictions. You can't really believe that. You don't get it. If that were true, obviously your life wouldn't look like it does. You're a fool. 
I don't know about you. Do you like being called a fool? And so we get tempted when the whisper comes, you're a fool for being a Christian, for believing the Bible is the word of God. We get tempted into errant or selfish actions or taking matters into our own hands or playing funny business or with our theology. And I, like these, these are things, these are the devices of Satan. They're dangerous. We need to learn Scripture in context and as one passage connects to the rest of Scripture. If you are drawing a principle out from one passage that you then find refuted elsewhere, then you probably need to rethink your principle. Let's take a look at the last temptation. Jesus says, I mean, uh, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And the Greek verb kind of adds this enhancement. If you would just fall down and worship me just once. then I will give you all the kingdoms, everything that you see. What tactic is that? Is that casting a shadow on God's goodness or twisting Scripture out of context? He knows. I think it's a little of both, but it's more casting shadow on God's goodness. Because what he's saying is, there's an easier way. That is one of the most dangerous temptations that Satan whispers in your ear. You know that situation I was talking to you about or I was referencing earlier where we had a, we've had a family member that's been mistreated or, and dealt with unfairly. And, I mean, it's caused our family a lot of heartache. Um, and we've gone to the scriptures and we've endeavored to keep a right heart and not make people our enemies and only, and only address the darkness that we see and earnestly praying and keeping a soft heart for the person th- to be restored and to be reconciled over a long period of time. And then later that day, like after all this, I mean, I am beat. I, am, I, am, I'm, I feel whole. I feel close to the Lord, but I am like, I'm empty of strength. And I go into a, a board meeting uh, for the Templeton Youth Baseball League. Um, and I'm sitting around the table with 12 guys, and I'm listening to them talk about their lives and youth baseball and second houses and ski trips and all, all, the, all these other things. And for a minute, I felt a little jealous of how easy their life seemed and all the things. It was like, man, I, I wish those were my worries today. And I hear the whisper of Satan, there's an easier way. You can quit. You can change churches. You can go to another school. You can move cities. You can quit your job. You can move to another state. It'll be easier there. There's an easier way. You know, we always see and are more acquainted with the difficulties on our own path. And we overvalue them. And we undervalue the difficulties of someone else's path. 
because we're not acquainted with it. So the grass always looks greener elsewhere. And that's why Satan can talk us out of our inheritance, can talk us out of our purpose, can talk us out of our future, can talk us out of our rewards, can get us to forfeit the promised land two days before we walk into it. There's an easier way. That's dangerous. And Jesus dealt with that firmly. He ignited Logos into Rhema. What did he say? Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Total trust in the Lord. Because he knew that he would have to suffer and die before he entered into his glory, Luke 24 through 26. And if he bowed down to Satan just once and relented, It all goes. There's an easier way. No. There are no shortcuts to the will of God. If we want to share in the glory, we have to walk the path, the good path that God has laid out for us. And sometimes that means we get to be uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to face down giants. Sometimes We have to overcome. But we've been made more than conquerors. We've been seated with Christ. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the written word of God. And we can ignite the Logos into Rhema with faith and declaration. There's an easier way. I mean, even what are we celebrating tomorrow? Martin Luther King Day. Do you know how many people came and whispered to him and some yelled at him, there's an easier way. Take matters into your own hands. You don't need to endure getting blown down with fire hoses and see your people get bottles thrown at them filled with lighter fluid and a match. Fight fire with fire. Take it to them. There were groups that splintered off because they thought there was an easier way. They needed to take matters in their own hands. But I am grateful for Dr. King. I am grateful that he stayed true to the mission that God called him all the way to the end. And his last speech I have framed, I've been to the mountaintop that he gave on April 3rd, 1968 to the sanitation workers. And I have the full text of the speech framed in my office because sometimes I need to remind myself that just because I don't feel that the path is easy doesn't mean I'm on the wrong path. Because the day before he was assassinated, this is what he told the sanitation workers. He said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory. 
of the coming of the Lord. We can ignite Logos into Rhema with faith and declaration. And we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. We can walk in victory over every temptation that the enemy would whisper in our ears. And so with that, I'd like to invite my son Aaron to lead us in a chant. This is a chant that our family has learned at Mount Hermon, and it might be a little cheesy, but it's really effective. So if you can all stand to your feet, this is how we fight the temptations of the devil. Are you ready? This is a repeat after me. This is a repeat after me. Word. Word. God's word. God's word. God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. God's word is mighty. God's word is mighty. God's word is powerful and mighty. God's word is powerful and mighty. Mighty, mighty is God's word. It makes the devil tremble. Mighty, mighty is God's word. It makes the devil tremble. Beat that big bad devil with the Bible verse. Beat that big bad devil with the Bible verse. Word. Word. Come on. Prayer team, if you can come forward, I want to just pray for us. And then um, if you need prayer after for anything, we want to pray and agree with you. Um, But God, we worship you today. And Lord, thank you for your word and for your love. And God, that we can walk in the power of your word and in the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to give us sensitivity to know and perceive the devil's devices And when he whispers things in our ears that are lies, God, that we would be able to ignite the Logos, your written word, into Rhema, your spoken word, with faith and declaration, that we would be a people that walks fully in victory. In Jesus' name, amen.